Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. We are at the, the, the final class of our uh, Eightfold Path Structured Study. We're going to begin a three-class uh, study on emptiness beginning Tuesday, uh, led by Matt. And then right after that, uh, a couple of suttas on, uh, three suttas on the meaning of taking refuge. And then we'll see if we're all awakened by then, we can go someplace else. Saturday morning. So this is just the end of the introduction to this, for those of you that read it. Framed by the Eightfold Path, right speech will always support speech that ultimately leads to an understanding of four noble truths and liberation from the greed, aversion, and deluded thinking that follows ignorance of these four truths. So um, right speech is where many people begin their Dhamma practice because it's in it's the... Um, it's the direct way to, to know what's, what we're holding in mind. In other words, what we, what we hold in mind will always come out of our mouth, especially to be mindful of the self-talk because that's what reveals itself in our jhana meditation. And so we don't focus on that, but we understand that when a feeling or a thought arises in meditation, we don't take it personally, we don't analyze it, we don't even put too much thought to it. We just take a breath and come back to the sensation of breathing. And in that way, we are interrupting the process that speech, action, and livelihood uses to maintain ignorance of Four Noble Truths. In other words, the, the wrong aspects of speech, action, and mindfulness. And again, as I said, as we're mindful of our speech, we can recognize uh, what our relationship is with other people and ourselves. So, uh, and right speech is abstaining from lying, abstaining from divisive speech, abstaining from abusive speech, abstaining from gossip, and abstaining from idle chatter. Right speech is always compassionate speech, as it is speech informed by the wisdom of four noble truths, developed through the Eightfold Path. Noble silence is not forced silence. Noble silence follows wise restraint, and is then <clears throat> active engagement with the Dhamma at the point of contact. In other words, without mindfulness of right speech, there can be no such thing that we would recognize as uh, noble silence. Excuse me. The reason why I make that point um, in general is that much of modern Buddhism um, takes um, collective um, force silence as noble silence, meaning most, most Buddhists or every Buddhist retreat I was ever on until I started running them myself were, were four silent retreats. In other words, you began the retreat with a little talk. You were told, okay, you stop talking for the duration of the retreat. Uh, sometimes it was maybe even just that class, or it was for seven or ten days in the, uh, uh, in the sense of the of a session. Um, and there's no reason, there's no um, direct way of engaging with the Dhamma when you have that kind of agreed upon for silence. And so our retreats are not run uh, as silent retreats. We're, we're silent during meals, but the other times we're talking, but we're talking with mindfulness of right speech. And so our retreats give us an opportunity to actually engage with the Dhamma as it's intended. 
So during our retreats, we're mindful of right speech. I ask everybody at the, probably every session, has your right speech going, just to be mindful of it again. So our mindfulness will always reveal itself in speech. Um, these are the Buddha's words on, uh, on this topic from the Abhaya Sutta. And notice that uh, in this sutta, there's a fine distinction drawn between what might be perceived as, devi- as divisive speech but it's actually Dhamma instruction, but, it, but it, it fits into a category when we're talking, when we're using right speech, but not necessarily the, um, the modern new agey, new Buddhist way of thinking that we're all one thing and uh, that, that, uh, that uh, Siddhartha Gautama was the, was the ultimate pacifist and that we become pacifists, meaning we, we're not... Um, living within the reality of dukkha because there is dukkha does not jive with I am a pacifist. And of course, it doesn't mean that I'm an aggressor either. Um, on one occasion, the Buddha was staying at the squirrel sanctuary in the bamboo forest near Rajagaha. This is all part of northern India, southern Nepal at the time. The Buddha never uh, left a uh, uh, the area where he was born. His whole life was spent within a 400 square mile uh, area of northern India and southern Nepal, and yet his influence is still here today, right here in this, mor- this morning. A local prince, Prince Abaya, went to Jain, uh, to the Jain, the Ganta, not the Puta. The Jain was a, uh, a, uh, a sect of, it, it was a hybrid sect. It's still around today. This Jain is still a, a, a religion that's practiced today. And even people today will say, yeah, it's very close to Buddhism. It's not anywhere near Buddhism, even though there's some of the similar ideas. Uh, but it was popular during the Buddhist time and it has lasted. <coughs> the, prince, the, the prince approached Naganta Nataputta, bowed and sat to one side. Naganta said to Prince Abhaya, if you would refute the teachings of the mighty and powerful Gautama the Contemplative, an admirable reputation of you will spread far. So you can already see the competition between the, the different sects during the Buddhist time. Venerable Sir, how will I refute the teachings of the mighty and powerful Gautama? They're poking fun at the Buddha. Come, Prince. Come now, Prince. Gautama the Contemplative is at the squirrel sanctuary in the bamboo forest near Rajagaha. When you see him, ask him this. Would you say words that are not endearing or are disagreeable to others? Would, would, say that again. Would you say words that are not endearing or disagree, disagreeable to others with a question mark after it? If the answer is that he would... If he answers that he would say words that are not endearing or are disagreeable to others... You say to him, then how is this, there any difference between you and ordinary run-of-the-mill people? However, Prince, if Gautama the Contemplative answers that he would not say words that are not endearing or disagreeable to others, then you say to him, then why did you say that Devadaha is headed for de- deprivation? Just before this, de- Devadaha that was the Buddha's cousin, uh, and him with, with King Bimbasara's son, I can't remember his name now, uh, the king's son wanted to take over the throne. Devadaha wanted to take over the Buddha's now rather large sangha because that that 
aligning a spiritual teacher with a large following gave you immediate power as a leader. So the son wanted to take over the king's throne, supported by uh, Devadaha, the Buddha's cousin. And so Devadaha tried three times to kill his cousin. It didn't work. Uh, and the Buddha said at the end of that sutta that Devadaha is now headed. Devadaha is now headed for a life life of deprivation. Not because he tried to kill a Buddha, because of the quality of his mind. Devadaha is headed for a deprivation, a living hell beyond redemption. Devadaha was upset at these words. So the Buddha taught Devadaha the Dhamma in a direct way and also used Devadaha as an example to the others, as the Buddha would do. The best example for the Dhamma is human life and the events of human life. Why? Because our mindfulness, our collective mindfulness, reflects itself in in the common the common rhetoric, what people are saying, what people are doing to themselves is what our collective society holds in mind, and that always comes out. And look what's occurring in the world. We haven't we haven't learned anything as far as getting along with people in in human history. We're still killing each other at the drop of a hat. When you ask Gautama, and and we we might be able to get past that if we're especially now, if we're willing to get to get to realize that sometimes the right thing to say might upset another person. And that other person would do well to listen rather than think that they need to massage their feelings, go to a crying room rather than face the reality of their own life. Again, the Buddha never taught to run away from anything that's upsetting. He taught to understand it, not take it personal. When you ask Gautama the contemplative of this two-pronged question, he won't be able to swallow it or spit it out. It will be as if the Buddha swallowed a, two ho- a two-horned chestnut that became stuck in his throat. Prince Abaya responds, As you say, Lord, he left Naganta Nataputta with respect and went to the Buddha. On arrival, he bowed and sat to one side. As the prince was sitting with the Buddha, he thought, This is not the time or place to confront Gautama the Contemplative. I will invite him to my home and refute his words there. Great teacher, would you join me with three of your Sangha members for tomorrow's meal? The Buddha accepted the offer by his silence. The prince left with a show of respect. The next day, the Buddha adjusted his inner robes and took his alms bowl and outer robe and left for Prince Abai's home. Upon arrival, he sat on a seat prepared for him. Prince Abai served the Buddha and his friends a lavish meal. The Buddha finished his meal <clears throat> and removed his hand from his bowl. So the 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 imagery here, just the lavish meal, um, is uh, a, a slightly subtle metaphor uh, as the outer trappings. Prince Abaya is trying to, to make a point that he has a friend of his and they're all engaged in something that's worthwhile and they, they've achieved a level of uh, importance in society just because of this lavish meal that they're putting out for the Buddha and his three followers. (coughs) The prince then sat on the lower seat to one side of the Buddha and addressed the Buddha. Would you say words that are not endearing or are disagreeable? Has anybody ever heard me say a a word that might have been disagreeable or not endearing, Ram? Oh, yeah. (laughs) The Buddha responds... I learned that from my friend Siddhartha, by the way, Uncle Sid. 
The Buddha responds, there is no categorized yes or no answer to your questions. So everything is a situation. Well, Gotama, you have just refuted the Nagantas. Just yesterday, Nagantanataputta told me to find you and ask if you would use words that are not endearing or are disagreeable. He said you would choke on the answer as if you had swallowed a two-horned chestnut. At that time, a baby was lying on the prince's lap. The Buddha asked Prince Abhaya, if this baby was neglected and swallowed a piece of gravel, what would you do? I would remove it. If I could not remove it easily, I would hold his, hold his head in one hand and reach into the baby's throat to remove the stone. This may hurt the baby, but it would save his life. So again, sometimes intentional pain is a necessary aspect of human life. In fact, all of pain, as the Buddha teaches, is an aspect of human life that can't be um, escaped from, and there, there should be no salvation sought from the common occurrences of pain in this world. Dukkha occurs. As a consequence of having a human life, there is going to be pain and distress, always. The liberating teaching that Siddhartha Gautama gave us 2,600 years ago and are still relevant today is that we can understand stress and we can learn to depersonalize it. And by doing such, then we stop contributing to the cause of our own stress by greed, aversion, and deluded thinking. In the same way, out of sympathy for others, words that I know to be false, unendearing, disagreeable, or not helpful in developing the Dhamma, I do not say them. But also, if it is helpful in developing the Dhamma, as you'll see, the Buddha does say them. So, um, words that are uh, false, unendearing, disagreeable, or not helpful in developing the Dhamma are not said. That When, when that occurs, when that when that person is practicing wise restraint, that is noble silence. In other words, noble silence is always informed by right speech. Without mindfulness of right, without, without mindfulness of right speech, there can be no noble silence. In the same way, out of sympathy for others, words that I know to be true, but likewise unendearing, disagreeable, or not helpful in developing the Dhamma, I do not say them. So simply because something is a truth, Let's talk about how, the, how beautiful the sky is and, and get into the, 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 the chemistry uh, of, of that. Well, that might be an interesting class for somebody who's interested in maybe climate today, but it has nothing to do with the Dhamma. It might be true, but it has no place in this room. And we do not talk about things that are not related to the Dhamma in this room, in our classes, or even on retreat. In the same way, out of sympathy for others, Words that I know to be true, unendearing, disagreeable, but helpful to developing the Dhamma with a sense of proper timing when it's in the right context. I do say that. This relates to what we have back and forth we had this week too, Scott. Where was, was I looking at you, Scott? Right. <laughs> My eyes are getting better, by the way. I still can't hit a curveball, though. In the same way, out of sympathy for others, words that I know to be false, not helpful in developing the Dhamma, but are endearing and agreeable, I do not say them. So as wise Dhamma practitioners and as wise Dhamma teachers, we don't say something just to be nice, just to make people feel good, because what is that doing? That's one of those hurtful things we can do for other people at any time, but it's certainly 
an egregious um, divergence from the Dhamma in this room. We're not trying to make people feel good in this practice. We're trying to make people not, not react to their own feelings and understand that their feelings that they've lived their life reacting from are impersonal. It's a key to awakening the Dhamma. It's part of the four foundations of mindfulness, isn't it? We don't take our feelings personally. We don't take our thoughts personally. What does that leave us? As human beings, it, means it leaves us as fully engaged in human life as a human being. Meaning with the ability to feel what is appropriate for this moment without this feeling driving me out of this moment. In the same way, out of sympathy for others, words that I know to be true, endearing, and agreeable, but are not helpful to developing a Dhamma, I do not say them. In the same way, out of sympathy for others, words that I know to be true, endearing, and agreeable, and are helpful to developing a Dhamma, with a sense of the proper time, I do not say them. That last line. You got to say something? I do say them. I do say them. I'm sorry. The... the, um, the only time, it's very rare that I talk about anything related to the Dhamma except in a class or directly one-on-one with a student or somebody who's inquiring through the internet. I don't, it, it just doesn't come up. I'm not interested in trying to con- convince people or coerce people into developing the Dhamma. Every now and then, in people that don't know me might ask me a question. And in fact, I got it asked the other day. I had a little uh, spinal injection. Uh, and one of the nurses said, because I've been there about a dozen times. Uh, every time you walk in here, you've got a smile on your face, and usually people that walk into a surgery room aren't smiling. Why? And I said, because I'm not smart enough to know any better. But, and then I said, well, maybe it's because I meditate, and she got interested in it. But it, that really, that's all I said. I didn't get into, you know, give, I didn't give her a Dhamma talk. I do say that. Lord, meaning to the Buddha, when others have question, questions for you and approach you, do you, know, do you know how you will answer or do you formulate a response in the moment? That's the Buddhist answer. I will, I will counter-question you, Prince. Answer how you see fit. Are you skilled in the parts of a chariot? So the Buddhist is giving even a lesson to the Prince. And the answer is, yes, I am skilled. The, 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 uh, the Prince says, yes, I am skilled in the parts of a chariot, answered the Prince. Well, Prince, when people ask you about the part of a chariot, the parts of a chariot, do you know how you will answer or do you formulate a response in the moment? You got to think about it. Great teacher, I am known as an expert on the parts of a chariot. As such, I formulate a response in the moment. Prince, uh, Prince Abaya, in the same manner, when others question me, I formulate a response in the moment. So many of the suttas, when you understand the background, you realize the Buddha is giving that talk uh, based on what is in front of him, based on what people are talking about or asking him about. The, 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 um, uh, ah, geez, failing me. The third sutta the Buddha ever gave on the not-self characteristic was that, the second sutta, uh, the fire discourse, because he noticed that uh, the five friends that he had befriended and now had taken to the Dhamma, uh, joined the Sangha, were gaining an understanding of the Dhamma, but he had noticed a conversation between them uh, that went something like, you know, this, that, uh, so I'm getting the Dhamma, I understand that, but what happens to the self when you let go of all views? The Buddha heard that, and so he gave, what's the fire discourse called? 
This is not the fire discord. This is the Anatta Lakana. And yeah, the, the not self, the Anatta Lakana Sutta. Thank not, you. Yeah, the sutta on the not self characteristic, and so the Buddha gave that alamanut as it was as it was a time to do it. I'm using a, a cooking phrase and the Dharma practice, the product of sutta. <laughs> Bam! You're all awakened. I formulate a response in in the moment because I thoroughly understand the Dharma. That's why we have teacher training here, and Ram is one of our teachers that have gone through the training. They know how to present the Dharma. When this was said, Prince Abaya replied, Magnificent, Lord, magnificent. It is as if you have set upright what was overturned, revealed what was hidden, shown a clear path to, to one lost, and carried a lamp in the darkness for those with eyes to see. Through many lines of reasoning, you have made the Dhamma clear. I take refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. Remember me as a follower from this day forward. That's the end of the suit. I just want to check something. Um, so we learn, and I and maybe we could. This could be the cause of a, a conversation here, um, of our discussion. That as we start developing the Dhamma, almost everyone, in, in fact, if we marked in that room, how they recognize um, and um, adapt real life situations. To the Dhamma, now that now that we're all developing right speech, you know how to talk to others, and you realize uh, when to when it's time to hold your tongue, and your lives become more calm and peaceful directly in that manner. An awakened mind is a mind that is rooted in everlasting calm, no matter what's occurring. And how do we know that we've awakened by what's coming out of our mouth? It will always fit these terms, meaning. There may be times when you're not in agreement with everyone in the world. That's not a sign that Dharma practice isn't working. If you get distressed when you're trying to practice the Dhamma, but you find yourself upset with someone else or something that's occurring in the world, it's not because of what the other person is doing, and it's not because of the situations in the world. We learn to gain control of our mind. Absolute control of our minds, rooted in jhana, rooted in concentration. And what will come out of our mouth will always be appropriate to the moment. At, that may not be agreeable to everyone that you're speaking with, but it will be framed by right speech because you'll understand that. Let's go online. Uh, Mary, how are you? Hi, good morning. Um, the lawn people just decided to show up, so it's very loud here. Hopefully you can't hear that. I don't. Um, no, I think I'll take noble silence today. Thank you, John. I'm glad you joined. Uh, Dev. Dev, you there? Okay, maybe he'll come on. David, are you there? Is too, they're not, their faces are on screen. That's why I'm saying it like that. Ah, David's gone. Hello, Brian. Morning. Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, yeah, this was um, insightful because if, if you're not answering at the moment of contact, then you've got a, a prefabricated answer in your head that that's 
likely not related to the situation at hand. And it's, again, it's all a mental fabrication and, and not directly related to what might be occurring. Yep. So, I, you know, having that concentration wise restraint to, to just wait for the moment in question, you're more likely to answer appropriately. So yeah. I, I found it very interesting. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. Take a pause. I'm going to take a pause. Every one of us, uh, if we're living a normal human life, has said things to other people we wish we didn't say, we wish we could take back. This way, we don't have to do that anymore. We can just avoid saying it. Hey, Anthony, how are you? Hey. So uh, right speech was definitely one of the areas that um, made a a lot of sense to me, and I recognized it immediately when I started learning uh, the suttas and coming to, to the groups here. Because if... I always felt uncomfortable when there were people talking about somebody, even especially if it was someone I liked. Yep. And if it was somebody that I didn't have like strong positive feelings for, it still concerned me. And then if you engage in it, you you walk you know you walk around worrying about who might have said something to who and if it's going to get back to that person. And it just made like complete sense when I learned about right speech because. Um, it, it eliminated a lot of worry and things that it just felt right because I knew that it was an area that always made me feel uncomfortable gossiping, yeah. you know, that part of right speech, the gossip part. And, and, yeah. and, and I also see it practically popping up in my life on a regular basis when I'm on social media and I see a political post that I don't agree with. And then I sit there and I debate it and I go, you know, it's just not worth it. Um, because if you, because then you open up a whole can of worms and then people start engaging in all kinds of hateful stuff because they don't agree with your position. Yeah. So like, that's another area that I find it coming up in my life a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's all I have to offer. And, uh, you know, I, I will engage in noble silence at this point. Because <laughs> I'm very yeah. There was a, a lot of right speech leading up to noble silence. So thank you. Uh, one of the ways when I when I'm teaching younger people, meaning uh, children, you know, teenagers, etc., um, uh, it'll usually revolve around this right speech. And I'll ask the the, uh, the the younger person a question. I said, "Do you ever notice when you're when you're with another friend of yours and you're talking about a third friend who isn't there? It doesn't make you feel good." And to a person, the kid will say, "Yeah, I do feel." I said. That's an example of right speech. Why would you say something to someone that makes you feel bad and also hurts someone else? And uh, to, a, to a kid, they get it and they understand it. I have a kid come back and they were happy to learn this and, and be able to practice wise restraint at 15. I wish I'd learned that because I would have saved myself a lot of trouble. Good morning, Becky. Good morning, John. Oh, I really like this suda. It's like a little, it's such a, it, it, it's like a, a movie, kind of. Yeah, yeah <laughs> a, a lot of imagery a story, in it. A lot of imagery in it, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I have a little question, though. Um, he talks about right speech, and he mentions with a sense of proper timing. Every time he says, then I would say it, he adds with a sense of proper timing. And that makes me... That makes me feel like it's not sometimes on the spur of the moment. Sometimes it's 
it's, you mean the words coming out the of his words mouth coming aren't coming out of his mouth yep. maybe so that seems like a, a disconnect to me oh all that he's there's there's two things that he's saying he's saying for one thing you probably can't practice complete right speech until you've developed a dhamma that it's that he's able to speak um on the subject at hand but spur of the moment because he has the foundational teachings but there's teachings that are appropriate in this time and there's times like uh, even in the sutta he kind of alludes to it's not a great reference where he didn't answer when uh, Prince Abiah said I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a dinner for you and you'll come but it was just a common practice that you understood when someone was sitting quietly and they did not respond that that was an affirmative so there was no reason for him to open his mouth but also when the subject matter um when it's not the proper time, uh, in other words, there were. Trying to think of an example of a sutta where the Buddha, the Bahia Sutta is a famous sutta where the Buddha is on his alms round and Bahia is begging with oh, him I to give me the sutta. I, I might die in the next moment. You might die in the next moment. What is your teachings? Give me your teachings. Um, and the Buddha said, "It's not the appropriate time. I'm on my alms round." And it wasn't until he saw the desperation in Bahia that out of sympathy, that became the proper time to teach him. Okay. That's, so, that's, and, and there's all kinds of situations. If I, go, if I go down, you know, walk down the street and I see peop, two people arguing, I'm not likely to walk up to them and say, you know, <laughs> okay. and, and, and I wouldn't go up to, um, I wouldn't go up to Anthony Broad, I wouldn't go up to somebody who's screaming uh, about some political view and get in a fight with him okay. because you know Anthony showed right speech there and not getting into it. Normal that, silence. That it wasn't puts the it that puts it in the proper broader context for yeah. me. Thank yeah. you. I was thinking of it too narrowly. Thank you for the question. Thank you. Is that Dr. Kevin right there? It is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna tell you how I know. I like this sutta too. And, uh, you know, right speech is where we all start. And then I just wanted to add that, that this whole cycle of the Eightfold Path has been really wonderful to go through again. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, we talked about this move, and I'm, I'm moving, and it just, it brings up so much distraction. It's this huge distraction. And during meditation, every hindrance comes up attachment, aversion, yeah. you know, and then I can't do this right now, and I'm too busy, and, you know, is this yeah. going to help me? And then if I, it really just, the teachings just tell me, just stay on the path, take the effort, yeah. get your view straight, and do jhana, then you can see where it's going to lead. Yeah. So, and thank you for keeping us with it. Wow. Thank you for, for that aspect of right speech to it. And so you have found a true refuge in your jhana practice, even though now you, what you, you know, based on what you said, that it's, it's, it might even be a little more difficult to just sit yeah. because of all the distractions, yet you go ahead and do it. Yes. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's, that's yeah. dhamma practice, and you reap the benefits of it, don't you? Yes, I do. Yeah. Good morning, Adam. Good morning, John. Uh, like like Anthony, I didn't uh, 
get or, or understand right speech until I started coming to this uh, this meditation class yeah. and this sangha. Um, up to that point, you know, all my study had been in the modern versions of Buddhism, and I, as far as I could tell, right speech was like being clever. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And I was like, I did not get it. Like, what, do you, what is this supposed to mean? And I got it. I sort of understood skillful means a little bit, but it didn't just, I had no context for it. Yeah. Um, but hearing it here in this simple, simpler terms um, has been liberating because you yeah. not gossiping and not talking about people behind their back and things like that actually feels good yeah. to not do that. Yeah. Um, and that's something that really came clear to me. What's sort of developed more since then, the two years I've been coming, is thinking more about when I get questions about Buddhism or it might come up in conversation. In the old days, I'm like, oh, well, let me tell you all about it. I'm an expert. This is what I studied in college. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and You got a degree in it. I've come to realize what a, you know, well, what a tripe I used to spout. Um, and uh, again, it's liberating not to feel you have to do that and to, you know, know when to say things, when not to say things. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, well, you know, I, I, I meditate. You know, I go to this class and it's cool and, Mm-hmm. Say anything more than that. Yeah. So anyway, now again, just pure right speech. It is that it is liberating, and that recognizing that liberation from gossip, that from the need to gossip, or the need for idle chatter in this moment, is liberating, isn't it? And it feels liberating. It feels good. And again, Adam's talking about gaining control of his mind and practicing wise restraint in this moment not falling into the, the, the common traps of uh, what we all do and we've probably all done. Yes. And that is, that, that's why it is liberating because of just that. You can think about that in, in you know, other, when, when you have found yourself gossiping uh, in the past, it's easy to imagine, boy, if I just didn't do that one thing, I would have liberated myself from my own ignorance in that respect. So thank you, Adam. Good morning, Scott. Good morning. Uh, well, to me, there's an unexpected part in this um, lesson. Uh, the, the more expected part and the valuable part, of course, is do speak with right speech. Don't speak with wrong speech. Yeah. Uh, but the unexpected part is you are going to speak with wrong speech. So learn from it. Watch yeah. yourself. Yes. And, and use that as a lesson. Yep. Um, as opposed to, to judging yourself harshly for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, my my days involve a lot of people, and so there's a lot of talk about a lot of things. You know, lately, all the developments in Frenchtown and the restaurants that are changing hands and things. I mean, that's not speech that has a lot of value, but everybody wants to talk about it. So it's an opportunity, and, and there are many other opportunities, to sit and think, why am I saying the things I'm saying at this moment? Are yep. they to sound like an expert? Are they to... Uh, puff myself up somehow or to make another person feel good or bad so that's when that unexpected lesson comes in yeah yeah, yeah. yeah that's right that's right very helpful for yeah. you to say that yeah thank you Scott yeah the, 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 um, the when Prince Abaya asked that question about the meal and Siddhartha just sat quietly that's not an example of what we do remember the setting uh, Siddhartha was within the, the Sangha setting. Those of us that go out into the world, we're going to be asked a lot of questions about how the weather is. And the Dhamma doesn't say, oh, they don't say anything, because we are human beings. And so you will say, 
yeah, it was supposed to be sunny today and maybe rain around five o'clock or so, if you happen to know it. That's not idle chatter. It's 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 living in the world and it's not being, uh, uh, you just use the word a dhamma dummy. You know, I don't, I don't mean to, it's just the words go together in a sense. You're so caught up in your own practice that you can no longer live in the world. That's not Dhamma practice. That's not meeting people where they are. The Dhamma teaches us to be present. But you won't go too far with that. You'll won't, you won't, someone asks you how the weather, you say, ah, oh, it's just another crappy day because it's going to rain later. That, that's not helpful to anyone, is it? You know, so yeah, I heard it's going to rain. I got my umbrella. Maybe you should go home and get yours. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's not wrong speech. That's just living in the world. And, and Scott, Scott, those that don't know, Scott also, among a million different things, runs the bookshop. And you, you couldn't relate to customers at all if you, if you just focused on the only thing I can talk about is a Dhamma. Nobody's going to be buying books or anything else. So again, we live in the world. We bring right speech in this moment. And it can always be framed by these, the tenets of right speech. We can always avoid gossip. And we can, we can avoid idle chatter that is just rooted in, in ongoing eye-making as well. We recognize that instantly. Thank you, Scott. Tony, welcome back to our Sangha. How has your practice been, uh, if at all? And I know this sutta might be a little bit out of, uh, out of context if you haven't been uh, following along with us, but I hope you found some benefit to it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I just got back uh, from serving another monastic retreat in California for three months. Wow, how was that? That's great. Oh, good for you. To have a transition here. Yeah. I was, who, who was the abbot? Abbot currently is Ajahn Naniko. Yes, yeah, wow. Good for you. Yeah. Well, well, welcome to our Sangha. Um, I, I think you wouldn't know about the website and the newsletter and all that. A little bit, yeah. yeah. Well, the website is becoming-buddha.com yeah. and all the info that you, you would want is on there. If, but if you're confused or you just want to chat, just send me an email. We'll, we'll set it up. Okay. What did you think about this morning's class? Um, yeah, it's, it's great, great. Great to um, hear words and right speech, yeah. especially because I am in a transition period right now, um, going back from the monastery and into the world. And when I first got here, I was kind of overwhelmed just by yeah. activity and, I, and the, mm-hmm. the worldly speech, yeah, so to yeah. speak. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm <coughs> spending time with my sister, her husband, and. Uh, my two-year-old nephew, who I just met for the first time, and it's interesting to see how this, uh, how speech is is at play during this development and learning how to oh, talk yeah. in a way that's you know you have good manners and polite and kind and not, not saying hurtful things to each other and learning to speak clearly and so the child will understand. Yeah. Um, and knowing when to say something that's a little harsh, you know, so they can stop doing what they're doing. Yeah. It's not good. Stop throwing your mashed potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't throw them. <laughs> Please stop. <laughs> um, but, uh, one thing that's coming to mind right now is that that's like the self-talk. Yeah. In a way, uh, for myself, I was totally, for a while, like thinking that I had to speak straight Tama keep keep it really strict yeah and maybe that translates to I can't think in a way that's not Tama so 
I guess what happens is in that space we might suppress our thoughts and not notice what we're actually saying to ourselves like yeah. underneath yeah. our imposed restrictions. Yeah. And during this retreat, I was thinking about how we just talk to ourselves in general, like what if it's kind or not, beneficial or not, and especially in meditation where you know your mind is going, yep. your mind is going, and you gotta find a way you need to slow it down so you can focus on the breath and learning how to talk to myself in a way that's not so totally like personal and overly invested in, in self, but gradually kind of calming things down and and being kind, supportive, straightforward, you know, yeah. just to give myself energy and make myself feel confident enough to be grounded and focused um, and just, you know, eventually to the point where maybe that starts to quiet down more and I don't yeah. have to do that anymore. It's, it's, so for me, it's helpful to think of right speech as something, I you know, it's external, but also it's internal too. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, it goes out. Yeah. From there. Yeah. Thank you, Tony, for for all of that. Yeah. The the um. It's the it's the self talk, the story that. See you, Scott. You guys. Bye, Scott. It's the the self talk, the story we tell ourselves, the story of our lives that we keep reinforcing to ourselves. This is me. This is what I am. I'm all these fabricated images of myself that I have to maintain and put out into the world as opposed to what the Buddha teaches. All that we are, this is the last, the Thursday class was adopted with Bhanga Sutta. The Buddha teaches that every human being is made up of the six properties, the, the earth, wind, fire, water, the space property, and the sixth property of consciousness. And that's all human beings can ever be while we're living our lives. And as soon as we attach something to that or cling something to that, it's rooted in eye-making. Uh, and it's, it's and which, it, which, arises in our interaction in the world because of a misunderstanding of self. And the Buddha never taught that there's no such thing as a self. He taught that human beings, he used the word anatta in that, and a common word during the Buddha's time, but uncommon in his usage, to say that your views that you're holding of the self do not constitute a self, they're a wrong view. Let go of the views. He never said let go of the self. What the Buddha taught, is what I believe and what I teach, what we teach here, is to be a, a fully present, fully mature human being that is able to think what is appropriate and abandon everything that is inappropriate. And so ultimately, even along the way, I was going to say ultimately we awaken when we abandon that last speech, that last idea that is rooted in wrong speech or wrong self-talk. So when we're sitting on a cushion, the Buddha gave us four foundations of mindfulness to deal with what's churning up inside. And he began that. Uh, and on the website, if you look up the Satipatthana Sutta, you'll hear it. You can hear the talks and uh, read the sutta. But he taught that we begin jhana meditation just like we did here, just be mindful of the breath and the body. And that begins to establish seclusion. And as, as feelings arise, the, fourth, the second foundation of mindfulness is to recognize that feeling as impermanent. Let it arise and pass away along with your breath and take it. Just take another breath. And a thought may arise and distract you. Take another breath. We don't do anything with a feeling or a thought except continually not be distracted. And in that way, we end up at the fourth foundation of mindfulness, which is a calm and peaceful mind.
And that is the Buddha's instructions on jhana meditation and what, what at least what we practice here. Uh, and so the purpose of jhana meditation is to increase concentration and in a very direct way so that we can practice right speech, right action, right livelihood in life as life occurs, but resting in that concentration. So I'm so glad you joined us. And we have, it's, all this is on the website too. We have classes Tuesday night, Saturday morning here. And uh, Thursday I teach a uh, class at 2.15 in the afternoon online. There's a couple of international students that join that one. So it's good to see you again. Likewise. Dhamma teacher Ram. John, um, this is a nice, nice sutta. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's for me very uh, timely. Um, because of <clears throat> during the, the last uh, teacher meeting, um, there was a lot of talk about uh, for me it was it, there was a lot that it was a matter of right speech. Mm. Um, you know I, I had not talk to somebody um, who, who was uh, losing the way a bit. Um, and, and for me that, that um, was <coughs> a matter of right speech that uh, you know I kind of you know it, it, was, a, it was a slight failure on, on my part to, to not do the timely thing there. Mm. So it's it's good to see this to to have the Buddha lay out like this is where right speech applies and this yeah. is uh, you know, this is where where right speech can be uh, can be practiced and and this is where you don't yeah uh, so it's good to get these reminders of you know how important right speech is yeah and how to apply it properly and how, how to apply yeah. it properly yeah. right speech is not specific it's Specific. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Ralph. Um, and I, it, um, Adam really touched on the, the liberation that's found in practicing the Dhamma as intended in just that practical way. When we're practicing right speech, we stay out of conflict with people. We just do. Uh, it's the ultimate in conflict resolution is being mindful of what we're saying and how we're acting. Uh, imagine if other people would learn that. Boy, those bad people that won't learn it. I'm making, making a point. It's not for us to insist that other people change before we do. If we really want the world to be a, a less conflicted space, we have to end conflict in our minds, not in other minds, in our own. And if we're seeing conflict in other people's minds that must change, it's because you haven't yet. That's all. And take a look at that. So there's an aspect of right speech when you're saying to yourself, oh, that person is a so-and-so and they need to... Wrong speech. You know, the light bulb will go on because you're practicing the Dhamma and you're able to leave yourself at peace and the other person at peace. And so in that way, we're bringing peace to the world. You know, I say this often, that most every human being is born with a compassionate gene. Uh, there's very, very few people that aren't naturally compassionate. There's a true psychopath, and, and true psychopathy is very rare. But we don't know how to do it all the time. And again, it's because of the ideas, the things that we're holding in mind, that we're not able to engage in something that should be so natural. Right speech. What comes out of my mouth should always be peaceful and pleasant and timely. And when it's not, I need to recognize that. And again, not judge myself harshly. 
when I find myself saying you so-and-so, you dumb S-O, blah, 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 I need to realize what I, I should direct that at myself, but not in a harmful way because it's creating conflict in my mind. And that's what I don't want. You know, I started this, uh, this so-called spiritual search when I was probably 12 or 13, being very conflicted and very angry, very frustrated. And it was out of that, eventually, you know, I didn't really start looking at anything until I sobered up at 26, but um, it was that conflicted state, constant conflicted state, that led me to seek something. It took me a while to come to the Buddha's Dhamma and I had to do a little bit of work even after I got there. But I went from an incredibly angry child to an incredibly angry and frustrated adult to someone who's pretty calm and peaceful, even when a damn dog doesn't wake me up on time. <laughs> That's today's talk. I figured that was a good ending for it. Um, this, is, this concludes this, uh, this study. It really was a remarkable study. Uh, all the talks are on the website. Uh, this one will be up later today in case you want to review it. Um, I just want to see something. Okay. Um, does anybody else have any questions or comments on today's class? Okay. Deb, did you want to say anything? I'm glad you joined us, Deb. All right, we'll finish with meta as we always do. So again, take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. The Buddha's words. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. May all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.